You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 240. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you in the new year as we kick off a great slate of content for 2024. We start by looking at a couple recently released special reports from our research, then hit the proverbial mailbag to answer some viewer questions, including a question on long-term favorite, the Boyd Group Services, Inc., symbol BYD on the TSX, one of North America's largest operators of non-franchise collision repair shops. The stock has been in coverage since 2008 when it traded at $2.30, and a listener asks if its long-term uptrend can continue. Aaron answers a listener question on engineering firm Stantec, symbol STN on the TSX. A listener asks what drove the company's 50% gains in 2023 and how it compares to existing engineering and construction firms we have in coverage. Brett answers a viewer question on MicroStrategy Incorporated, symbol MSTR on the NASDAQ, an analytics and business intelligence company that funnels its cash flow into holding Bitcoin, which it holds approximately a worth of $8.6 billion at around $4,550 US at the time of recording. The shares are currently trading at around $571 with a market cap of just around $9 billion. The listener wants to know if MicroStrategy is a smart way to play Bitcoin. Last and certainly least, Brennan reviews a viewer question on Amatec, symbol M-A-A-M-E on the New York Stock Exchange with manufacturers and sells electronics instruments and electromechanical devices in North American, European, Asian, and South American markets. Is it a buy, sell, or hold? Brennan has you covered. All right, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn, and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Excellent. I'm a little under the weather. Welcome back, I don't know everybody. If you can tell. So this is our, our first podcast in 2024. Yep. Very exciting. Yeah. Obviously, Extremely excited. Um, I'm... I'm just hoping my voice holds up. Uh, I've been under the weather for about a week, and uh, it's been really fun. It's been really fun. So, yeah, no doubt. I think we're, I'm coming uh, out the other side, late. which is a good thing. There's some yeah, nasty. We'll see if Ryan talks last if the ratings actually go up. <laughs> you know that'll happen. Uh, the yeah, I know there's a nasty bugs going around. I don't wish it on anybody, e- even Brennan's enemies out there, which are numerous. So. Yep. All right, a couple of uh, I'm going to go through a couple of research notes. Uh, we released Keystone's Cash Rich 2024 uh, Canadian Small Cap Profitable Stock Report. It produced three new uh, Canadian uh, small cap recommendations, which were released. Uh, the whole report was released in December. Uh, two of the companies were released as buys in September and uh, October, respect or November, respectively. And then we came out with a new buy in December as well. If you've not had a chance to look at it, 
and are serious about adding some Canadian growth stocks with strong balance sheets to your portfolio, net cash positions, I say, what are you waiting for? Get your hands on that report today. Um, it was great. It takes a three-month process going through, looking through every stock listed on CDAR, screening out for what we see as net cash positions, profitable businesses, and then interviewing management teams and coming up with some of the best growth-oriented companies with very strong balance sheets that if we do have a downturn, can not only survive, but thrive and profit through that. And that's why we look at that uh, report every year. And it was just released. Yeah. Um, you know, I just really enjoy going through CDAR every single year, you know, multiple times um, because it just, we get, you know, uh, an idea on like, you know, the landscape or the companies that are out there. And, you know, over time, we see each year when we do these sweeps, we're pulling out, you know, similar companies. I had a question from a client the other day on Kojiko. Uh, I was calling it Coke Co the other day to Ryan. And, uh, you know, I said to this client, I've pulled it out multiple times. It was in the list. It screens quite well. Uh, they have some headwinds right now. Um, but it's just nice. It, it allows us to continually be looking and watching these businesses uh, that, you know, are, you know, not complete crap junior miners uh, that are out there, which obviously there's tons. Um, yeah. And I mean, the, pro the process is good. Uh, of the two of the three recommendations, our companies we've been monitoring for three plus years uh, have sat down and met with management multiple times. So you have a good feel even ahead of making the recommendations. And they had kind of inflection points this fall where we thought there was a, you know, a good growth path one to three years ahead of them. And they traded at what we would say are reasonable valuations and being patient with those companies. Uh, you know, both companies have already done tremendously well. Uh, we like them long term. And, and then we introduced one new company that has some more speculative flavor to it, but certainly has a good balance sheet as well and has some good growth in the business. So we look forward. I mean, our clients know about those companies, uh, great businesses that we'll continue to follow and uh, recommend over the long term. We also just released, and I'm going to quiz Aaron on this, not really quiz, but uh just this past week, it was our top 100 U.S. stock report, which produced two new U.S. large cap recommendations and included four focus buy recommendations, two within that, uh, seven high conviction monitors, 11 additional monitor reports, as well as st statistical data on over 100 companies. Well, no, it is 100 companies exactly because it is the top 100 uh, in the U.S. Aaron, do you want to speak a little bit to the report, a little of the process there? And just, uh, yeah, sure. I think you had some slides too, right? I do. I just have a couple of slides that I'll walk through as well for those Good. watching on, on YouTube. But so as Ryan said, we just put this report out in January. It's a hundred of the, the largest companies, most powerful companies in the world. And it's um, really what motivates this report is our consideration of, of how influential these companies are and how powerful they are. So when you look at the combined market capitalization of the NASDAQ 100, it's almost $31 trillion. And when we put that into perspective, that's about 77% of the total market capitalization of the S&P 500. So the 500 largest companies on the U.S. stock market, um, really 500 largest companies in the world there'll be you know a couple that will be outside of that but this is this is a colossal group um but in terms of revenue for these companies 10 trillion over the past 12 months if you combine them um that is about 40 percent of the total market cap or the total gdp of the united states so really the motivation here is that when you think about how influential and powerful this group is 
uh, it's incredibly important that investors have some exposure. And we saw some potential opportunities to diversify into a few other sectors. Um, if you look at the sector makeup of these of this group, a technology, of course, uh, making up the largest sector, which we would which we would expect um, about about thirty percent, but still strong um, opportunities in other areas like consumer cyclical, healthcare, consumer defensive, um, industrial. So we essentially look at everything. We went through all one hundred companies, did a deep dive on all of them. Uh, we particularly paid attention to the group that are referred to as the mega cap seven. Uh, so these are the largest seven companies on the S&P 500 and in the NASDAQ 100. They include Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, Meta, and Tesla. All of these are essentially technology-based companies. Um, but they they make up a, a substantial um, percentage of the S&P 500. Um, together, it's about $12 billion in market cap. So over a third of the of the NASDAQ 100. Um and uh, it's very important to understand this group because if you look at you know just market returns in 2023, they really led the market. Uh, Nasdaq 100 up on average 52% compared to the S&P 500 at 24%, um, but even far greater uh, returns from the mega cap seven. Now, many of the mega cap seven did pull back fairly significantly in 2022. So that's something that you also have to factor in, but ultimately, you know, you cannot really have a diversified, well-rounded portfolio without having some good exposure to this space. So um, as Ryan talked about within this report, we have four current buy recommendations in a number of different sectors. We have a highlighted monitor list of six companies. So these are the top six companies outside of our current coverage that we're keeping a very close eye on that we think could potentially be recommendations at one point over the next one to two years. We have an additional monitor list of what we consider to be the next 10 top companies in the NASDAQ 100. And then, of course, we have financial and fundamental data on the entire group of companies um, that just came out uh, about a week ago. So take a look, get back to us, and we can uh, tell you how to access the report. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. You can hear me there, right? That's good. Yep. Good, good, good. Yeah, no, thanks for going over that. I think it's uh, a, a, certainly a valuable part of any, particularly Canadians portfolio. We talk all the time uh, about how Canadians just don't have the exposure uh, to the US market uh, through traditional advisors that we would like to see in a portfolio. And, uh, you know, this report is going to give you access to and analysis from an independent perspective on a, the 100 largest stocks in the US. Plus, we are now just conducting research on, uh, we screened out about 2,000 uh, companies in the U.S. with a market cap of under $2 billion that are cash flow positive, looking on the smaller end of the market. So you have exposure to the large, then the small, where there's higher growth there too as well. And, you know, that we want to hit both or all parts of the market, anywhere we can find growth at a reasonable price. So that is a special report we're doing that'll be out over the next 30 to 45 days. Yeah. And we've already been, you know, just already pulling good companies from that list, uh, reviewing them in our weekly analyst meetings. Uh, and, you know, there's some intriguing businesses there. Also some, uh, you know, companies that I pull out and Ryan's like, why are you pulling this piece of crap out? 
you know, but yeah, I'm constantly yelling at Brennan over companies. <laughs> That's what we do around here. Yeah, no, it's, it's, we just want to make debates about, uh, and any company, any industry doesn't matter. And then, uh, have the healthy debate, have all of us take a look at it and see if we find value there. I mean, that's part of the process for sure. All right, let's get uh, let's get to the show. Let's get to the first look at the company. The company is the Boyd Group. Uh, they reported last month and then just came out with a new presentation uh, this past week. So the Boyd Group, symbol BYD on the TSX, trades uh, just under $280, about a $6 billion market cap. Yield is just 0.22%. Again, Boyd was originally recommended by Keystone in November of 2008 at $2.30. Today, it hit a new uh, all-time high in the range of about $280. It's up over 12,300%. Importantly, what does this company do? It's one of North America's largest operators of non-franchise collision repair centers. The company operates 130 locations in Canada under the trade names Boyd Auto Body and Glass and Assure Automotive, as well as approximately 800 sites in the U.S. under the Gerber Collision and Glass brand for a total of over 930 centers as at the last quarter. Uh, Let's take a look at the recent quarterly numbers from the business here. Uh, As you can see, good growth in terms of revenues, EBITDA, and adjusted EPS. The adjusted EPS line really uh, ramped up in that quarter. That growth rate is not sustainable, but it is a tremendous growth rate we saw there. Uh, Let's look at some additional highlights here. Uh, Net earnings per share, which we'll look at, uh, not on an adjusted basis, were 95 cents, up from 55 cents in the same period of last year. A debt net of cash before lease liabilities increased from about 316 million to 356 million as at September 30th, 2023. The company also added 21 collision repair shops locations, including 17 through acquisition and four are just startup greenfield type uh, locations. Now, subsequent to the end of the quarter, the company added nine repair locations, including six through acquisition and three startup locations. They also announced the dividend there. Sorry, let's go back to that. They announced a dividend uh, increase of about 2% to $0.60 per share annualized up from 55 or 58.8 on an annualized basis. Now, they just released their 2020 investor presentation on uh, January 9th, which uh, had some little nuggets in there that are important uh, for the business currently and going forward. They listed 932 locations at year end versus 898 reported at Q3 2023. That implied 34 new locations in Q4, which is well above consensus estimates. Q4 marked the largest step up in store count since Q3 2021. On a full year basis, Boyd acquired approximately 80 locations in 2023, up from just 23 in the prior year. Of note here, it appears that the consolidation industry, the auto body consolidation industry widely was down roughly 50% in 2023. Uh, The higher cost of financing is impacting M&A, but a strong company like Boyd actually increased its M&A opportunity um, by roughly 250% from 2022 levels uh, in 2023. So what we believe, um, this has implications on the company's five-year growth target. Uh, it may get there early, 
Uh, Boyd set a target of doubling its revenue versus 2029 or 2019 revenues by 2025. Uh, the current consensus forecast now employs Boyd will nearly reach this target in 20, at the end of 2024 with revenue asset estimates equal to between 90 and 96 percent of that target uh, versus 2019. Uh, one, our opinion, one larger multi-shop acquisitions could put the company at the target roughly one year in advance. So let's look at where the valuations are right now on an EV to EBITDA basis on based on 2023 estimates and 2024 estimates respectively. It's about 16 and 13.3 times. Uh, they also trade with a PE based on 2023 and 2024 estimates of 54 and 36.7 uh, respectively. Our conclusion here, uh, we believe that 2024 will be another supportive year in terms of M&A for Boyd. And while same store sales increases tapered from those experienced during the period following the pandemic through 2023, we expect the company can hit or exceed its uh, 10-year average rate in terms of same so store sales of around 6% through 2024, which is a good rate. Despite the tremendous gains, we would not bet against Boyd long-term and continue to like the business. All right, that's going to end now, and I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Well, I remember when I was looking at them uh, a couple of years ago and really trying to understand the what, what the future growth opportunity was because they'd already grown so much, and the question is, you know, are they starting to saturate their market? But they had a lot of runway. I mean, ultimately, what they're doing is they're consolidating auto body repair and glass repair. And they had a tremendous amount of runway. I mean, in spite of the the growth that they had achieved in the previous five years, they were really just still a speck of the overall sector industry uh, in North America, which is highly fragmented, like a lot of mom and pop businesses, smaller companies, you know, a few multi um, multi regional operators. So there's certainly a lot of runway for growth there. And then in terms of valuation, I you know, not cheap. I mean, 55 times, um, what was it, this year's earnings, uh, 36 times next yeah. year. But if you start extrapolating out five years, I mean, if you're really looking long-term on this company and given its tremendous track record in the past, the valuation actually starts to not look that bad. I mean, it's not what we would, it's certainly not a value play. It's a gross stock, but it's not trading, in my opinion, at what I would consider an obscene valuation. Um you know, I mean, no, and, and it 100 times, yeah. 200 times earnings, right? Like this is a valuation you can still understand if you're looking five years out. Yeah. And it, you, any buy right now on Boyd is probably close to fair value near term, but any buy is three to five years out. And, uh, you know, at the end of this year, they likely come out with a new five year plan. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to double operations again over the next five years, but the growth rate should exceed uh, the market growth rate. And, you know, by the end of this year, you're starting to buy it at a more reasonable price. And if you're, again, betting against this management team's process, um, I think you're foolhearted. Uh, and they do have that run uh, of uh, growth potential ahead of them, it, which is still quite large. The, the other things that could help them, a recession can actually help this business. So it hedges you a bit. Uh, technicians. Uh, just getting a good supply of good technicians has been a big issue for this company. It's starting to allay a little bit. But if there's a recession, they actually, just regular workers that work there, but the technicians, uh, they likely uh, 
the wage inflation isn't as high then, but also they just, they'll have more supply of them. So it can benefit them. Plus in a recession, the prices they're paying for uh, businesses come down uh, and people tend to fix their cars, you know, to get from A to B, you need to get your car fixed. And it, you know, that's why it's been a beautiful business for a long term. And over the next three to five years, I wouldn't bet against uh, the way this company has been run. On that note, I actually have to take my car to Auto Boyd in the next little bit here for. I know. I, I, so. One of the biggest line items in the last quarter when I look at the household is the is the friggin' vehicle, right? So, like, yeah, it's a the, you know, the, there's a good buck to be made in that business if you do it right. And Boyd, you know, has a track record, a history of being a good repair shop. I've taken my vehicles there in the past, and it's been you know a simple process, but they certainly dinged my wallet. And uh, you can see why you want to invest in that because uh, you're fighting against it if you're not when when it's part of a, a huge household expense. All right, let's let's move on. I think we're good on Boyd. Aaron, uh, a, a, a question came on in a company that we've looked at a number of times in the past, Stantec. Uh, you, you're going to probably share your screen and have some thoughts on that. I am. I do have a As Aaron says, I didn't know I was answering questions. questions. From, a, from a listener, um, I believe client as well. Um, Doug, so he asked, uh, he said he was a client of Stantec, um, on and off for years and always thought highly of them. Stock is up over 50%. How would you compare them to NVEE and Bowman, BWMN? So these are two companies under coverage in our U.S. research, which you've done well over time. Uh, similar to Stantec, I'm going to touch on the comparison a little bit later on in these slides, but right now I'll just walk through Stantec. What does it do? What do the fundamentals look like? So symbol is STN on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, it also trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, stock price of just under $110. It's a $12 billion market cap company. So quite a large cap for the Canadian market, um, you know, barely a mid cap for the US. And not much of a yield, but it does pay yield of 0.8%. So what they are is they're an engineering architecture and environmental consulting company. Uh, they operate in three regions, Canada, the United States, and also globally. And some of the sectors and services that they provide are in uh, the infrastructure, water, buildings, environmental services, and energy and resources spaces. So first thing to note here is that uh, they operate within the construction industry, but they are not a construction company. Uh, they are a consulting company, an engineering and architectural consulting company primarily. Uh, and the big difference here is that this is generally a fee-for-service business. So with most of the construction companies that we see, uh, they essentially, they have to bid on a project. Uh, that project um, requires a lot of input costs, like raw materials, labor, very difficult to predict. So there's risk, there's operating risk when it comes to being able to bid competitively on a project, but then also complete that project profitably. Um, also very contract focused. So there can be a lot of volatility in revenue and earnings. Um, however, with a consulting company, this is a fee for service business primarily. So you're essentially just getting paid um, for the work that you put in. That reduces a lot of the operating risk compared to construction companies, which is something that we like to see. So Stantec, uh, as our client had mentioned, has done extremely well over the past 12 months, up about 50%. If we look over the past five years, uh, it's done extremely well, although it's really the last 12 months that, um, you know, from a time-adjusted basis, most of these gains or a lot of these gains have actually occurred. Let's take a look at the results, the financial results in Q3. 
of 2023. So strong financial results, revenue of 1.3 billion up 13 and a half percent, almost 25% growth in adjusted operating income to 241 million. We saw expansion in operating margins of 170 basis points. And then adjusted EPS as well was up 32.5% to $1.14 per share. The company also provided guidance. And in fact, it's this is revised guidance for the full year of 2023. They're expecting to see revenue growth uh, in the range of 12% to 14%, as well as adjusted earnings per share growth from 17 to 20%. Now, the first three quarters are already done. Uh, the company reports their Q4 likely in, in February. In terms of regional breakdown, fairly well diversified, a little over half of the revenues come from the US market, and then the remainder is split between Canada and their international business. So the company has come out with a three-year strategic plan, which really outlines its growth um, up to 2026. They expect to grow their net revenue up to $7.5 billion. So in terms of organic revenue growth, they're looking at about 7% growth annually on a compound basis. Um, adjusted EBITDA margins are expected to be in the range of 17 to 18%. And adjusted EPS is expected to grow at a compound average rate between 15 and 18%. They also provided guidance for the current year 2024, expecting net revenue growth of 7 to 12% and adjusted EPS growth of 11 to 16%. So based on the company's guidance for 2023 and their targets for 2024, we'd be looking at 2024 adjusted EPS of about 425, and that puts the valuation at approximately 25 times earnings. Uh, looking at the balance sheet, the balance sheet is reasonable, 172 million in cash, a debt of just over 2 billion, uh, equity of 2.4 billion. So you're looking at a debt to EBITDA multiple of about 2.5 times. This is right around where I would say it should be. I wouldn't want to see it levered above this. Um, you know, maybe around the two times would be a little more ideal, but certainly, you know, no issues with, with the balance sheet. So in terms of the just overall fundamentals of Stantec, you know, it, it, it looks like a good, strong business. Um, it's produced strong financial results. The balance sheet financial position, both reasonable, has a solid outlook for growth. The valuation of 25 times earnings, I don't think that it's overvalued. I'd say that it's probably more or less fairly valued uh, at the current price. But if you're looking long term, I think that this is a good business. And Doug also asked, how do you compare Stantec to a couple of the companies that we have under coverage in this space? And those would be NV5 Global and Bowman. Um, so th these are both US listed companies, uh, primarily operating in the US. So the first difference is going to be that um, regional. Um, so although Stantec, a little over half of its business is in the US, Bowman and, and NV5 primarily are, are have a, primarily operate uh, within the US. Now, they are consulting companies. So all three are consulting companies, very similar business, very similar industries that they service. So um, similar companies in those respects. But the biggest difference is really size. So Stantec is about a 12 billion market cap company. Compare that to NV5, about 1.6. Um, Bowman, about 450 million. So even if you were to add Bowman and NV5 together, uh, you, you know, they're about a sixth of the size of, of Stantec. So Stantec, much 
larger company by size, um, more geographically diversified. Um, on an earnings basis, more expensive than NV5. Um, you know, relative to Bowman, Bowman's a bit of a different situation. Bowman's at a different point in its growth curve. So we're seeing higher levels of growth from Bowman. Um, on an earnings basis, it's a little more expensive on an EBITDA basis. It's more attractively valued, but uh, all three good solid companies to benefit from infrastructure investment over time. Yeah, I think that was a good summary. Um, uh, I, I'm going to, I have some comments, but I'm going to lose my voice if I do too you much. So Are you there, Ryan? I do, and I almost have drained it, so I just want to get through. No, it's good. I think I think you summarized it well. I, I you know I think you know there is a difference between the businesses in terms of the biggest businesses size and then growth rates. Uh, you know, like on Bowman's front, the growth rates higher, but Stantec certainly got a longer track record. And Stantec, you know, it, like Bowman's acquiring at a at a frenetic pace, really relative to say Stantec. And the the size know, the as well makes it e easier to to hit those <laughs> exactly. high growth numbers. I mean, for Stantec to hit those growth numbers, they yeah, there just aren't that many acquisitions out there for them. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna move on. Uh, and I believe Brett is up next in the queue and you're going to be looking at um, uh, a company called MicroStrategy Incorporated, MSTR on the NASDAQ, an analytics business intelligence company that is now funneling its cash flow into Bitcoin, topical, obviously, uh, right now, but topical always. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to see uh, if MicroStrategy is a good way to play Bitcoin or is there another way to do it? Yeah, and that's really what uh, the question around MicroStrategy always is, is, is it a better in way to invest in Bitcoin than other avenues? Especially this is coming out the day after mm -hmm. now the U.S. has approved uh, Bitcoin spot ETFs, which they've had futures once for a while, but spots a bit different. And Canada, we're a few years ahead and we've had spot ETFs for a couple years at least now, and it might be a few but anyways, moving on, MicroStrategy, like Ryan said, they are an analytics company in the business intelligence segment. The software is designed to be used across industries from retail, healthcare, finance, or the public sector. In addition to its operation, the company just funnels its cash flows into holding Bitcoin, which it holds roughly 189000 at this time. And at 45500 per Bitcoin, that's about $8.6 billion. And it's been a very volatile day, so those numbers are probably a bit different by the time you are listening to this. The shares are currently trading at $571 a piece, with a market cap of roughly $9 billion. As the company really has two sides to this business, the software business and the other being this Bitcoin holding, we'll break up the financials a bit to see how the software operation is performing. But we'll really, uh, I'll, I'll go back and forth between where we are looking at the line items on the income statement. So for Q3, the company had total revenue of 129 million, up 3.3% from 125 in the prior year. And that's all attributable to their software business, of course. Gross profit increased 2.8% to 103 million from 100 million. Operating income uh, shifted to lo loss of 25 million from an income of 6 million. The company had a net loss of 143 million or $10.09 per share compared to a loss of $27 million or $2.39 a share in the prior year. This is largely due to a non-cash tax expense of $110 million. 
which primarily relates to the removal of a previously recognizable tax benefit. And just to little look at it, the Bitcoin bias, uh, at, at the end of Q4, um, the Bitcoin is above MicroStrategy's cost basis. So you'll end up seeing a large tax benefit in Q4. And this is why the accounting uh, non-cash uh, expenses and benefits can really change their earnings quarter over quarter just to do with their Bitcoin price. Even though they have not realized it, they're still holding it. Nothing material has changed the business. It will completely change their earnings. So you really have to dissect their earnings quite a bit. So now stepping back up in the income statement to operating income where we where we deviate to see how well the software segment is actually performing. We'll remove the digital asset impairment losses from operating income or loss for the quarter. Adjusted operating income, once you remove that, was about $8.3 million for the quarter compared to $5.3 in the prior year. As well, we'll want to look at the income of just the software segment. So we'll just ignore the debt for now as that relates to the Bitcoin holdings. Uh, they issued their debt specifically to buy Bitcoin. So we can ignore that for if we're just dissecting the software business, if it's like a separate business. So at a 21% standard US corporate tax rate, the net income would be roughly 6.6 .6 million. So if they split the company into Bitcoin holding software business, you'd be looking around 6.6. .6. It will That is a bit more of a conservative estimate because there's going to be probably some value, but they don't break it out in the SGNA, which relates to their Bitcoin operation. So likely you'd have a bit higher if you were completely to strip it out of the company. As well, if you repeat the process for the trailing 12 months, you end up with adjusted net income of about $6.5 million as they add some losses attributable to the software operations during the past year. So really, the last quarter is about equivalent to the last 12 months. So now shifting to the Bitcoin holdings. At the end of Q3, the company held $158,000, up from $132,000 at the end of 2022. As well, since the end of the quarter, the company has purchased additional Bitcoin, putting it at about roughly 189000 The dollar value of that holding is about $8.6 with an average cost basis being 31000 which means the company is sitting on an unrealized gain of about $2.7 at the time of recording. As I said before, the company uh, uses debt to ho uh, fund holding its Bitcoin, as the debt is specifically issued to hold Bitcoin we can really net that out similar to like a margin account. The company holds $2.2 billion in long-term debt at the end of the quarter. So their equity in Bitcoin, if you were to net it out like a margin account, would be $6.4 billion. The debt is comprised partially of convertible debt and partially of senior secured debt, which is secured against Bitcoin holdings. Notably, the convertible debt only pays 0.75% interest and as well as they have a no nominal interest for their other issuance of the two issuance. This really was great timing by them. They did it when their stock price was high, which means their the embedded call option, which is what a convertible bond is, was quite high. So that reduces interest payments as well. Interest rates were obviously super low at the time. So they had great timing for that. Whether that was luck or strategy, that's up to your opinion more than anything. The management, I'm sure, will say it's all strategy though. On the other hand, the senior secured debt, which was issued more recently, has a coupon rate of 6.125%. But that makes it so the weighted average interest rate is only 1.6%, which is quite low to say the least if you were to issue debt now. At the time, Bitcoin holdings, which means when you're taking the debt, uh, the leverage ratio is about 1.3 times. So if you're on a 
cryptocurrency exchange, you'll see leverage. You'll go, you can go up to 20 times, 100 times on futures. They're only at 1.3. So it's not like it's an absurd leverage by any means, but there is leverage to the Bitcoin holdings, of course. To fund the recent round of Bitcoin purchases, the company has used an at-the-market sale method to raise $610 million, and that was just immediately funneled right into Bitcoin. Not the first time they've done this. As you can see here, looking at a chart, their shares outstanding have increased materially since 2018 and really since 2020 when they started to really funnel any, any money they could raise into Bitcoin and as well as use debt at the same time. Overall, Bitcoin is really the real reason why you'd want to invest in MicroStrategy. And as we can see here, the stock price reflects the Bitcoin price. The stock and Bitcoin are no means perfectly correlated. So if you're looking at ETFs, where it's nearly one to one, and that's their goal is to completely track the Bitcoin price movements, it's not going to have that. But as you can see, it's very closely correlated. And compared to, let's say, if you took any random stock in the S&P 500 and compared it to the S&P 500, you'd have much more deviation than MicroStrategy compared to Bitcoin. That being said, since the start of 2020, which is a relatively arbitrary date, uh, Bitcoin itself has outperformed MicroStrategy. So moving on to a quick sum of parts valuation. Like I said, so what we're going to do here is take one part of the business, but the Bitcoin business and the software business and separate them and see how much we're actually valuing the software business at. As Bitcoin, it's just really... A value if I went on the market with six billion dollars, I could get relatively near the Bitcoin holdings that they have. So the Bitcoin value contributes about that 6.4 billion of the 9 billion market cap. So that means the software segment is valued at about 2.6 billion, meaning this ballpark PE of my previous uh estimate of what if you stripped out the business would be, there'd be about 400 times PE, which is just meaningless at that point. And this is a little to no growth software business. And like I said before, that's probably a low estimate of their income as you strip out some of the expensive to do with their Bitcoin options. So even if it, we allocate half of their yearly SDNA on it, $60 million, which was would be the high end, they'd still be at a PE of 50 times for the software business, which is still very high. And that's generous at that point. So likely you're somewhere between that 50 and 400 if you were to strip it out. The exact PE, of course, would change on assumptions and you'll have, if you, so take this with a grain of salt would be the best way to put it. So really concluding though, MicroStrategy is a proxy for Bitcoin. The software business doesn't really add value and needed to fit the high value needed to fill the gap between the Bitcoin holdings and the market cap is just too big. The biggest value added for the Bitcoin segment was really them issuing debt at a great, great timing. Isn't You can say that now, but let's say they continue this plan, they keep issuing debt, they keep issuing shares. That's not really going to add value to the shareholder. They were just more, in my opinion, lucky than anything that they did at the right time. So if you want exposure to Bitcoin, because you wouldn't really want exposure to the software, just buy an ETF at this point, you can do it in the US now. If you want some sort of leverage, you can do that most likely easier with options of some degree. It is obviously very risky, but if you want Bitcoin, there's better options. Yeah, yeah I mean, this and this is the struggle with this type of a business is that investors look at it and it's like, well, what is it that I'm buying? I mean, am I buying a, a Bitcoin fund? Am I buying a software company? And just combining the two, just it just it just adds to the confusion. Whereas investors generally like to know. They like a business that's just more focused on, you know, a particular industry or 
you know, a particular strategy as opposed to this is almost like a strange conglomerate of sorts, which always is yeah. going to, typically going to trade at a discount. I mean, I would say, why not buy a good software company that has a good growth path ahead of it and then just buy Bitcoin or a Bitcoin ETF? Like, you know, with this company, you have some company specific research or, or, or risk when you're buying it that you don't have with the Bitcoin ETF, for example. And then you could just buy a good software company if you want to own a software business, as there's certainly better software businesses that we have in coverage than if you just look at the MicroStrategy software business. So if you want to own that, buy that and then buy the Bitcoin ETF separately. I mean, it, it to me, it doesn't make sense. I mean, the company probably does well this year if Bitcoin does well, but uh, Bitcoin again, will do well as well. Bitcoin ETF. <laughs> That's, yes. that's the exposure you're looking for. And yeah. if Bitcoin doesn't do well, the company doesn't do well, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's not being, you know, the software business, it's, it's questionable. And you know, the Bitcoin are. ETF isn't going to change its strategy. It's going to own Bitcoin ETF. There is management risk here that this management team could say, Bitcoin's overvalued. I want to do this. And, you know, like, so there, you have that risk. You know exactly what you're getting if you're buying a Bitcoin ETF. And uh, you know exactly what you're getting if you're buying a good software-based recurring business. Um, I just would, if you want to own that or own Bitcoin, do that. If you want to do the opposite and just own a good software company. There's certainly better software businesses out there. We're an AI All right. company now. <laughs> just joking. But, you know, as companies take Yeah, for sure. Too. They did mention AI in their software segment. Just for oh, the I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. that. Yeah, I, you're just trying to get too cute. There's no point. Let's make it simple. I think that's usually mm -hmm. the better uh, strategy in investing. Keep it Keep simple. It simple, stupid. Yeah. Speaking of stupid, so Brennan <laughs> has. Um, oh, how oh. dare you? <laughs> yeah, I know. How dare? Now this, I, I was referring to the company. Brennan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amatech is A-M-E. Is it Amatech? Yes. I think. Yeah. A-M-E yeah. on the New York That's Stock Exchange. Yeah. Um, let me Brennan, take it over. Here. We're kidding, Brennan. I know. I'm kidding. I know. It's okay. The listeners are always in my inbox. We love you, Brennan. We love you. Anyways. Uh, his mom is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's my mom, mom with some with some burner accounts. Thanks, Colleen. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yes, this question came in from another client, uh, Tom. He's actually from Saskatoon. Uh, go, go Saskatchewan. Um, and he says, I would like you to discuss Amtec Inc. Um, I actually reviewed the stock uh, for Tom during one of our US uh, chat sessions and it screened well. So he wanted me to go over it a little bit more in depth uh, on the podcast. So Amtec Inc, A-M-E on the New York Stock Exchange, currently trading at a price of about $162, a market cap of $37 billion, uh, and it pays a slight dividend yield of about 0.6%. Uh, so the company manufactures and sells electronic instruments and electromechanical devices in North America, Europe, Asia, and South America. So the company operates in two segments. Uh, the first, it's electronic instruments or EIG segment. And then its second is the electromechanical group uh, or EMG. So the company's electronic instruments segment offers advanced analytical test and measurement instrumentation and mission critical communications solutions. 
and its electromechanical segment offers automation and precision motion control solutions, as well as highly engineered electrical interconnects, specialty metals, and thermal management solutions. So the company has been an aggressive acquirer, having deployed just under $7 billion on 36 acquisitions since 2014. And the most recent acquisition was for Paragon Medical, which provides engineered medical devices, components, and instruments. Uh, and the acquisition was just closed on December 8th for an all-cash transaction valued at approximately $1.9 billion with annual sales of approximately $500 million. So it is a significant acquisition for the company, uh, larger than we've seen in you know, several years. Now, moving over to the actual financial results. So this is for Q3 of 2023. So revenues were $1.62 billion, an increase of 5% uh, over the third quarter of 2022. Uh, organic growth here for the quarter was flat, but acquisitions added about 4% growth uh, and positive foreign exchange added about 1%. Now, Gap EPS was $1.48 per share, up 14% year over year, and adjusted EPS uh, was about $1.64 per share, up 13% year over year. And uh, if looking at the balance sheet, not including the most recent acquisition, as we would only be speculating on the pro form of balance sheet, uh, as at September 30th, 2023, Amtec had a net debt of about $1.3 billion and a trailing net debt to EBITDA multiple of 0.7 times, uh, which is reasonable. And looking at the valuations, uh, the business trades at around 26 times gap EPS, 25 times forward adjusted earnings, and with an EV to cash flow multiple of about 24 times. And just for some perspective here, uh, over the past five years, the median trailing PE was about 28 times uh, for the company. Um, so during Q3, management recently revised their uh, fiscal year 2023 adjusted EPS guidance upward from a midpoint of $6.22 per share uh, now to $6.32. Uh, and this would represent growth of about 11% uh, compared to last year's results. Um, and management also indicated that they ended Q3 with a very strong backlog of $3.4 billion. This is near record levels. Uh, and although it is down a modest 2% sequentially, uh, it is up 5% from Q3 of 2022 and up 23% from the end of 2021. So to conclude here, Amtec is a diverse business focused on niche markets driven by sev several secular growth trends, including automation and manufacturing, energy production and supply, aerospace and defense, and medical and healthcare. The company has produced strong growth in revenue and earnings, uh, but it has been primarily driven by acquisitions funded through strong cash flow generation. Now, the company pays a slight yield of 0.6%, but they have produced strong dividend growth of 12% over the past five years. So they, it's nice to see that they've been growing that. So you know, investors who bought it five years ago, their effective yield would be much higher than that 0.6%. Um, like I said, management did revise their fiscal year 2023 guidance upward in Q3. And they also indicated that they maintain a robust backlog, which remains near all-time highs, which you know bodes well for... Uh, you know, continued growth here. Now, with a valuation of 25 times forward earnings, in my opinion, this places the business near fair value given its low double digit uh, adjusted EPS growth. And, you know, we're looking at about single digit organic revenue growth right now. Uh, the balance sheet remains healthy, 
Uh, but like I said, it will change in the next few quarters because Paragon or because of the Paragon medical acquisition. So overall, I think that over the long term, as long as Amtech continues to execute as it has historically, the business and share price should continue to perform well into the future. However, you know, the Paragon acquisition is quite significant. So it will be interesting to see how the balance sheet and leverage ratios will look going forward. You know, they gave us, um, you know, that the company was doing 500 million in revenue, um, but we had no other color than that. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the margin profile there and if, you know, it changes anything at all. Um, but yeah, Amtech, I think it's uh, an interesting business. There's no doubt. I'd agree with but the conclusion. I'd say fair value given the growth rate, given the valuation, um, you know, an acquisition that size, it can be great for the company. It also takes risks. Yeah. They take on risk doing a, a deal that size with integration. So if things don't work out the way they they had expected um, there could be, you know, activity on the downside, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting business. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good summary. Is there uh, anything else you guys wanted to chat about? Um, no, I think we're good. Not that will close off our first show this year. Um, I, I will, uh, uh, make people aware that I'm going to be speaking at the upcoming Vancouver resource conference in Vancouver. It's in a couple weeks time. I believe Sunday is the 21st. Brennan, do you have that on your calendar? There? I don't have it on my calendar, unfortunately. Okay. I think it's the 21st. I will be speaking at, uh, at I believe it's around a one o'clock time. It's a Sunday and, uh, and I'll, I'll be there and we'll uh, touch on a few companies in our coverage uh, and uh, go through a presentation as well. So it is uh, we'll send some details out on that uh, in uh, one of our upcoming podcasts too, just to let uh, listeners know. If you're interested in any of those special reports, again, become a client today and get access to those. Uh, if you're looking to change your portfolio for 2023, uh, or 2024, is that where we're at? 2024, know, that'll help you out. Too, no. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, get our New Year sale on that. There you go. Exactly. We do have that. I think it's closing out in a couple couple days. Uh, had excellent response to that. Uh, you know, it, it, it helps when you, you know, Hammond Power was the best performing stock over the last five years, over the last two years. Um, again, our clients have had access to to buy that company over that period of time. Uh, we're looking for the next Hammond Power right now uh, when we're doing our U.S. research and we came out with our Canadian research there uh, just over the past over the past couple of weeks. All right, I'll close out the show and I wish you, as always, profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>